at the beginning of the world and the work of the Holy Spirit now, bringing new life to people. And you'll find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We'll read that in a minute, but first of all, something to introduce it. Carl Sagan was a famous astronomer, so I'm told. I don't know much about him, but apparently he's pretty famous. Carl Sagan, an astronomer. And he wrote a book called Pale Blue Dot. And in it, he comments on an image of Earth taken by the spacecraft Voyager from billions of miles out into space. And in that image, there's Earth looking like just a pale blue dot. And Carl Sagan describes our planet as just this lonely speck in the cosmic darkness. We are obscure, we are alone, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. So says Carl Sagan. Is he right? Is this just an insignificant planet in an intimidating universe? Are we just the most advanced animal on this planet? And whether Earth and humanity survives all the threats and all the problems is just up to us. Well, you get the start of an answer in Genesis 1, verse 2. And I have to admit, it's only the start. We should expect that because it's introducing the whole Bible. Genesis 1, well, we'll read verse 1 as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Last week we were in verse 1, where we heard that God is the creator, God is the eternal maker. Because you don't get nothing suddenly becoming something, that means that something must have been around forever. And we heard it's much, there's great reason to believe it's an eternal maker, not just eternal matter. But is this maker just some distant power in the background? Or does he have anything to do with you and me? Is he just a far off power, or is he a person, a person of any relevance to you tomorrow morning? Did he just start off this universe in all its vastness? Or did he put little you and me here for a purpose? Now, these questions, rather obviously, make all the difference to what you think life is about and why you're here and what you're going to do with life. And verse 1 and 2 of the Bible, as you might expect, introduce this God, this creator, whom all the Bible is about. And this morning, we're going to have a think about what does verse 2 introduce us? Uh, introduced to us about God. Verse 2, as I've said, is just introduction, so we will have to move beyond it. But I want us to see three things about God that verse 2 is introducing to us. And here's the first. God is involved in planet Earth. That's what verse 2 is introducing to us. God is involved in planet Earth. Now, verse, let's go back to verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a mind-blowing, big and general statement. God was there before everything else, 
And it all comes from him. All the matter, all the energy, all the laws and the principles, all the variety, all the ideas in the universe, they all come from him. They wouldn't be here without him. It starts so big, the heavens and the earth. And then it brings us down to earth, literally. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. It brings us right down to earth, very literally down to earth. And the rest of Genesis 1 will stay there. It's all about planet earth. It shows no interest in the rest of the universe apart from how it relates to earth. And so Genesis 1 is showing us God's focus, planet earth. And it's showing us God is involved in planet Earth. First, let's look at verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God hovering. What does that sound like? It sounds rather like a bird. Those are technical might say birds technically technically don't hover unless it's a hummingbird but it's supposed to be an image of a bird that's interesting the spirit appeared as a bird a dove at the baptism of jesus see the bible ties together in all sorts of ways and when do you see a bird hovering children have you seen okay technically not hovering but we think of it as hovering you seen as you as you travel along the motorway you see them quite often don't you a buzzard or a kestrel, or maybe even a red kite, and there it is, still in the air. Why? It's preparing for action. The bird hovering is looking to see what to do. It's looking for a, for a rabbit or a sparrow to pounce on. It's ready for action. And here's the Spirit, the Spirit of God, ready for action. That tells you he'll be behind the action in the rest of the chapter. He doesn't get a mention in the rest of the chapter, but it's telling you, look, behind everything else in the rest of this chapter is the Spirit. He's ready for action in verse 2, and he springs into action, verse 3 onwards. And the rest of the chapter is God involved here on earth, structuring it. He says, now this part is going to be land, and this part will be sea. And... He says, right, I'll fill the land with these animals and I'll fill the sea with those animals. And he tells the birds and the fish what to do. And he sorts out the kinds of animals. And he takes an interest in the result. And he looks at it and he says, oh, that's good. And that's good. It's all introducing us to the Bible as a book where God is involved in planet Earth. We're so used to that, we we might forget how remarkable it is. We've got to remember verse 1. He's the God who made the heavens, the whole universe, and he fills it all. But the Bible says he's actively involved down here with little us. We're so used to it, we might forget that's just continuously across the Bible. We just move on a few chapters and we find he gets involved in the life of a man called Abraham and he has plans for him. And then you move on a little bit longer and you find he listens to a people called Israel, uh, Israelites who are groaning because they are slaves and he thinks, I'll rescue them. And then you move on to some books called the Prophets and you find when nations rise and fall, it's God who does it. 
Or, well, we read Psalm 8 earlier, but I did wonder if we should instead have read Psalm 104. It's quite a remarkable psalm because it links so closely God creating and God controlling. It moves without hesitation from, he set the earth on its foundations. That's past, isn't it? He set, that's what he did. And then it says, he makes the springs water the earth. That's present, that's now. It says, he makes grass grow for the cattle. There's grass growing on our lawn outside. There wasn't, was there, last summer? It had just about all gone. Why is that? Oh, Psalm 104 says, he makes it grow. Okay, that's not for cattle, that's for children to play on. But he made it. He brings darkness and it becomes light. It even says his spirit causes the animals to breathe. That's interesting, his spirit. Why do animals have babies? Oh, you can give lots of biological reasons there, but the Bible says his spirit causes it to happen. Through the Bible we find God involved. And then you get to Jesus. And he told us even more remarkably, not even a sparrow falls to the ground unless God wills it. If you want to look that up sometime, it's Matthew 10. Children, have you seen a sparrow on the ground ever? Maybe a cat has got it. Maybe it was a very young one and it fell out of the nest. Maybe it flew against one of these windows and got stunned and it's down there in the bushes. But Jesus said, even that God controlled. He makes it happen. Now, we've moved a long way from Genesis 1 verse 2, haven't we? But verse 1 and 2 are introducing this God that the whole Bible will be about. Verse 1 says, he is the eternal creator. All the heavens are made by him, intimidatingly beyond us. And then verse 2 says, well, it's introducing, but he's involved in this earth. He didn't just give it the starting push and leave it to roll on its way. He's more closely interested and involved than that. The Bible closely links he's the creator with he's the controller. He created it then, and he's still controlling it now, in an ongoing way. Now, what's the point of hearing all this? Well, I hope it makes you amazed at God and worship him. I hope you believe in God as the Bible describes him. If your idea of God isn't the way the Bible describes him, then it isn't God. But here's another point to all this. Don't be a deist. Now, do you know what a deist is? There was this idea around, this belief, mainly back in the 18th century, there must be some sort of God. Of course, there must be an intelligent designer behind all this, but he or it or whatever is so distant, so uninvolved, he or it or whatever just started the universe and put the laws in place and then we're left to it. Rather like winding up a clock, Have you still got an old-fashioned clock you wind up? You don't wind it up and then put your finger on the hands and keep them moving, do you? You wind it up and then you leave it to do its thing. And the idea was that, well, God's like that. Wound this whole universe up, put its laws in place, and then leaves it to do its own thing. Now, there are not many people today who call themselves deists. In fact, I've never come across one. But I reckon many are deists in practice. Are you? Your abilities, 
your circumstances, your opportunities, where did they come from? Oh, personally given by God. Are you grumbling or contented? The unknown events of the week ahead, what determines them? Just laws of this universe? No, they're in God's hands. So are you praying about them, those events? What do you see happening in the world around you, whether in nature or on the news? What makes it happen? Is it just God's put laws in place at the beginning and he's left them to do their own thing? No, they are the result of God acting now. He's still involved fulfilling his plan. First thing that verse 2 is introducing us to, and yes, it's only introducing it, is this. God is involved in planet Earth. Second thing, let's build on that now. The second thing is, God is involved because he cares for mankind. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how does the earth compare with the heavens? Um, Do we have a picture? I'm not sure if it was going to... Yes, we do. Okay, we have a picture. How does the earth compare with the heavens? Now, don't take here we are as um, very exact. (laughs) It's, It's not very serious. It's saying, look, roughly there. One of those little dots will be the sun. And around the sun will be a load of planets, including our one. And that's just the Milky Way galaxy. And that's one of a hundred billion galaxies that are reckoned to be in the observable or the known universe. And God, verse 1 says, God created it all. All of it. We are obscure. We are tiny. And yet then verse 2 onwards ignores all of that. And it's all about little earth. Okay, we can remove the picture. Why? Why is it all about earth? Where is it all heading? Well, it's beginning a chapter that's all heading towards verse 26. It's all heading towards this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. By the way, when it says man, it's man, what we'd call generically, as in other words, humans, mankind. It's not really the planet that God is most interested in. It's the people. It's about planet Earth, because of the people God will put here. Now, last time we saw, the Bible starts with God. God is the subject of nearly every sentence in chapter 1. And yet, chapter 1 is very concerned about mankind. We could almost say it's centred on mankind. It's all focused on earth, and it's earth with people in mind. Let's get some examples. Verse 11 and 12, plants are described. But they are not described in the way that a botanist would. It's more the way a chef would. Because the focus is on fruits and seeds. It's plants as food for people. And then in verse 14 and 15, the sun and the moon are described. But no astronomer would describe them like this. They're described as if they're clocks and lights. As if they're just big versions of what you'd buy in the shop. A light for your home and a clock to tell the time. They're described in such a human-centred way. And then verse 24, animals are described, but it's not how... I never get... Attenborough, what's his first name? I've forgotten. 
David, it's not how David Attenborough would describe them. It's not mammals, reptiles, amphibians. They're classified according to whether they are livestock we can use, or wild animals we avoid, or what we'd call creepy crawlies, and you might avoid them too, some of you. Now, it's not that this is some unscientific, primitive account that doesn't understand the world. No, it's because it's got a focus. And the focus is all leading up to verse 26. It's being made and described with humans in mind. Because although it's also God-saturated, in some way we could say it's human-centred. So Genesis 1 says, you are not the centre of the universe. You are not the main subject of the Bible. The Bible is not a self-help manual so you can fulfil your dreams. Life is not all about you, it's all about God. It's also that God should be glorified. That's what we heard last week and that is all true. And yet Genesis 1 says, this God cares for mankind. This God is concerned for us. This God is making the world in a way that seems to be focused on us. That's why we began with Psalm 8 this morning. We're reading through the Psalms, aren't we? And I decided to abandon that and read instead one, not the one we'd got to, but Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have put in place... What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Again, it's not man as opposed to woman, it's mankind. Now the point is not, what is man? Some tiny insignificance compared with the stars. What are we? We're just dust, we're just nothing. That isn't the point. The point is, what is man? That the God who placed the stars is most concerned about us. He cares so much about mankind. What is this being man that God is so bothered about? Think what else God could care most about. Children, do you know about blue whales? Amazing. I'm told it has a tongue the size of an elephant. (laughs) A tongue the size of an elephant. And a heart that weighs the same as a car. Well, I suppose it depends what type of car. God could care most about blue whales, couldn't he? They're much more impressive than us. Or stars, they're the powerhouse of the universe. Couldn't they be what God says, I'm most pleased with that part of my creation? Or angels. God made angels, these mysterious, powerful messengers. Couldn't they be the high point of his creation? Couldn't they be the creature he most cares for? Well, think of this. If you were an angel who sinned, what hope would you have? What hope of restoration would you have? None. Now that makes you think again about God, doesn't it? We tend to think God owes us. Of course God ought to sort things out. No chance for angels who sin. But for us humans, God hasn't just given us a chance. He's given us his son. He hasn't just given us another opportunity. He's given his son to actually save us at the expense of his life. Because he cares about us above the whole universe. Move on to the third thing we learn about God here. God's involved in planet Earth. God's involved because he cares about humans. And then thirdly, 
God is involved to make a home for mankind with himself. What is God doing in Genesis 1? Well, he's making a home so we can live with him. Let's spend a little while now looking at how God makes this home because it's introducing some of the big themes of the Bible if we see how God did it. So, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who created? Well, you say it says, God created. But you get to the New Testament and you find it's not quite as simple as that because you find God the Father created through the Son. Or it says in other places, God the Father created by the Son. You can read that in John 1, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 if you want to check it. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. God the Father created through God the Son. The Father initiated it and then the Son did it. And then verse 2 tells us, well there's a load of stuff being made, but it's, well how's it described in verse 2? You have a look. It's formless and empty. Planet Earth has been created, but it's just a dark mass of fluid, it sounds like. But the Spirit is there. And the Spirit is hovering in the darkness, waiting, ready to bring... Well, what do you need to bring to stuff that's formless and empty? You need to bring order and fullness. Do you see, it's formless and empty, and he's going to bring order and fullness. And then verse 3, God speaks. Let there be light. And there was light. His word has power to make things happen. But behind the scenes is the Spirit of God doing it. What was he hovering in? Verse 2. In the darkness. In the darkness. And now God speaks and the Spirit acts and there is light. You see, word and spirit acting together. Remember that, that's going to come up again in a minute. The Father initiates, the Son does it, the Spirit and the Word work together so it's put into practice. And they're working together to make a home fit for humans. Verse 2, it's formless, it's empty and it's dark. That is not a home fit for you or me, is it? Think of your home for a minute. Now, sorry to say this, but think of your home reduced to a heap. Yeah? Just a big jumble. All the materials would still be there. Bricks and cement, and you can see a bit of timber there, and a bit of metal. That could make a window frame, but it's not a window frame, it's just a, it's just a heap. Those who are scientific might like to think of it reduced to all its chemicals, just in a pile. It, it's, not a, it's not a home that you can live in. That's verse 2. So God gets to work on it. Verse 3, he brings light. I meant to say it was a heap in the darkness. And you need some light, so God brings light. Verse 3, you need light in a home. And then God brings order. Imagine your jumbled up pile of materials. What do you need to do to it? You need to order them. You need to separate out. Let's get the bricks out. Let's get the cement out. Let's get the timber out. Let's get the metal out. Let's order them and let's put them in the right place. And that's basically what the rest of the chapter is doing. God separates out light from dark. He separates out the atmosphere from the earth. He separates out the land from the sea. Okay, he's got it ordered. Now, once you've got your home, your your pile of rubble ordered, what do you need to do? Once it's all in its right place, you need to fill it. And that's the rest of chapter 1. 
He fills the land with plants and animals. He fills the water with fish. He fills the sky with birds. He's filling it. He's ordering it and filling it. And then when it's ready, he puts man in his home to continue the work. Have a look at verse 28. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Carry on filling it and carrying on ordering it. There's more to be done. And that takes us from chapter 1, verse 2, it was formless and empty, to chapter 2, verse 1, it is ordered and full. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Completed, the word is, has the sense of ordered. Their vast array, it means it's full. You see, it goes from formless and empty to ordered and full. Now, you'd think that's the end of the story, wouldn't you? God's done his job. All done. Nice home for people. End of story. Why do we need the rest of the Bible? Well, because it's not the end of the story. Because us humans decide we're not going to do what God says. We're going to do what we say. And the result is the world becomes disordered again. Not as disordered, but it's disordered. And it becomes full of problems and death, not good things. Do you know the story of the Genesis flood? That's picturing for us what we've done to this earth. Because there you've got human sin results in God's judgment and creation gets reversed. Read read the flood again sometime and notice how it's Genesis 1 backwards. Everything's getting disordered. Until it all ends with what? A formless and empty, watery, dark deep. It's back in Genesis 1, verse 2. It's telling us what our sin is like. It undoes God's work of creation. It messes it all up. Genesis 2, verse 1 isn't the end of the story, but nor is it the plan abandoned. Ah, it's all just not work. Leave these humans to get on with the mess they've made. No, because God is still working to make a home for humans with himself. How does God work? Well, God the Father has initiated a plan. A plan to rescue us rebels and rebuild the home. And who who does the plan? Oh, God the Son did it. Put it into practice as he died. He died to undo our sin. And then God the Spirit now works behind the scenes in people's hearts to bring this plan into people's lives. And he works as God's word comes to us. The word of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit makes us believe it and makes it take effect in our lives. 2 Corinthians 4 puts it this way. It says, God who said, let the light shine in darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Do you see, Genesis 1, these verses you could, you could easily skip over and think, what's all this about? gives us almost the exact pattern for how God works now as he reconciles people to himself, ready to live in the home he's making for them. It's still God the Father initiates, God the Son did it on the cross, and God the Spirit is now working behind the scenes as God's word comes to people, bringing light to a dark world. So the story 
ends, the plan is completed, not in Genesis 2 verse 1, but at the other end of the Bible. The story's completed, the plan is brought to fulfilment in Revelation, the end of Revelation. Let me read you a few verses. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, no longer that watery deep. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, dressed beautifully for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Does God really care about planet Earth? Yes. His plan hasn't been derailed. He hasn't had to go on to, oh, it's all gone wrong. Plan A's gone wrong. Let's get plan B out. No, this always was his plan. He's still making a home for us with himself. Now, what's the point of hearing all that? Genesis 1 doesn't tell you to do anything. What are you supposed to do about it? What's the point? point? I hope it's obvious what the point is. It's amazing. God who made the universe, who's, he's involved in this earth, and he's not distant. This week, when you're brushing your teeth, when you're there at your workplace, think of this, he's not distant. He's involved, and he cares about us, and he's active now, here. And this world isn't out of control, and God's just scrabbling around trying to work out what to do about the mess. He's working out his plan. And his plan is making a home for himself with you and me. Of course, the first two verses of the Bible don't tell you all of that. They're just an introduction. But they do tell you something wonderful. They introduce you to this God. The God who cares. The God you can trust. Now again, I've not told you anything to do about this because Genesis 1 doesn't tell you anything to do. It's laying a foundation if you build a house, you don't need to be a builder, do you, to know? If you build a house, you better spend time on your foundation. You can't get building anything that appears above ground until you've got your foundation settled. You need it solid. You need it reliable. You need to build your life on a solid, reliable foundation. You can't know what life is about or what you should be doing until you've got this foundation right. Is your belief in God right? Is your belief in God, is it in this God? Are you building your life on him? Let's pray.